0: Hi, I'm Josh, and welcome to the Wild Nature Photography Podcast, the podcast that talks the art and craft of nature photography. It is the 29th of December, 2023. This is podcast number 86, and I have a very bad case of jet lag. I got home yesterday from Santiago with onward travel from Easter Island. Uh, Before that, I was in Antarctica, so I'm still getting used to the time difference here in Australia. Probably gonna take me a few days before I'm fully recovered. And I guess the good news, bad news of that is I only have a few days because I am leaving for Mongolia and my winter Palace cat expedition on the second of January. So that is only in four days' time from now. So I don't think I'm really gonna get much of a chance to get over my jet lag, to be to be honest. But that's okay. I only woke up a couple of times last night. I've been up since four o'clock this morning. It's just par for the course, I'm not complaining it's okay. So there's a few things I want to cover off in this podcast. This will probably be the final podcast for the year. Normally, I do a very extensive sort of retrospective look back at the year that was, and a look into the coming year. And I've done that historically as a written post on my blog. I think last year, I may have actually done it as a podcast for the first time. Might have to go back and check that. But anyway, historically, it's been done as a written post. I'm going to do it as a Podcast this year simply because I don't have the time at the moment to sit down and write the very extensive, um, the very extensive text that would need to go into making up this this post because it's usually quite long with all the travel that's happened throughout the year. So apologies if you always look forward to reading that, but there will be an an oral version that uh, I'll put out in the podcast probably early next year. Uh, Ideally, I would love to do it before I leave for Mongolia, but given I'm leaving on the 2nd of January, that just may not happen. Uh, I'll do my best. I know I'm also promising, or have promised, rather, two podcasts, both book reviews, one on Bird Photographer of the Year, the 2023 version, that is edition number eight fantastic book as i've sort of hinted at i will be reviewing that in the early in the new year as well as uh, vincent mounier's new book uh his retrospective mounier which i've also talked about in various podcasts absolutely incredible book looking forward to reviewing that also early in the new year probably when i get back from mongolia i just want to have sufficient time to really really do that book um do that book justice so the topic of today is going to be wrapping up uh antarctica this is not the full trip report I will have a trip report probably tomorrow or the next day, certainly before I leave for Mongolia with some photographs. I've already processed some images from this trip. This was a really incredible expedition to the Antarctic Peninsula. We this was, I guess before I should I get into talking a little bit too much about it, I should say this was a dedicated charter. So this was not a shared expedition with regular tourists down to Antarctica, which if you really look around, most photographic expeditions really are that. They're shared expeditions with general tourists, or they're sort of sailing under the guise of being photographic, but they're not really. They're really just running regular tourist-type operations. This was not that. This was a fully dedicated trip. I had control of the ship from day one. That is the nice thing with chartering the entire ship. You get to be get to be king. And it's good to be the king, as they say, because you get to make the decisions about where to go, what time to do landings, when to put zodiacs in the water, and when the best photographic opportunities might arise instead of worrying about what time you have to be back on. Back on ship for mealtimes, which is pretty much the standard way almost all expeditions down to Antarctica are run, but not mine, and certainly not the one I ran this year. So I will say a little bit more about that when I do the written report, but suffice to say for now... We really maximized our time down in Antarctica, I felt. We had really, really good weather conditions. The Drake crossing was relatively smooth. I'd say probably a three out of ten. So a little bit of a gentle roll on. Nothing too nothing too bad, nothing to really worry about. We did have one rogue wave on the way over, somewhere in the middle of the night. I think it was around one or two in the morning. I got up in the morning and the captain the cabin rather had just been turned upside down. The ship was I don't know what degrees it listed to but it was pretty significant. It was a big hit. The crew on the bridge saw it coming, this rogue wave, and were able to steer the ship into it but even so the ship did roll a lot during this rogue wave encounter. It's the first rogue wave I've actually had down in the Drake Passage with all the crossings I have done down there so I consider myself pretty fortunate in that regard and there was no damage certainly to equipment although one person had a bit of a Bit of a stumble and a fall, but they were okay too. So as I said, the the crossing wasn't too bad other than the, the one rogue wave. And then in terms of view of the weather, once we were down in Antarctica, we were very, very fortunate. We had overcast conditions every single day. So photographically, it was just sublime. Really beautiful clouds, really soft light, fantastic conditions all around. We were able to tick off all the big ticket items that I was hoping for. So we got to go to Half Moon Bay, we did Deception Island and Whalers Bay. We did the La Maire Channel, we did Peterman Island, we did Cooverville Island. We knocked all of these off first go. In fact, Whalers Bay, we actually moved up the schedule. We were originally going to go there on the way back, had an opportunity to go there early on the way in. That's as we made such good time across the Drake Passage. Uh, we were making 11 to 12 knots the whole way across. So that was fantastic. That meant that uh, we had some extra time up our sleeve. We could do an extra landing in the South Shetlands at Fort Point, which we, which we did right on sunset. And then we were able to take an early landing at Whalers Bay as well. So what that meant was that I was able to make the decision about halfway through the trip to abandon the rest of our planned landing sites and actually steam north around the peninsula and into the Weddell Sea and through Antarctic Sound, and actually we are able to get as far south as the southerly most point of Snow Hill. Now, that's absolutely incredible. I've never been able to get that far south before because sea ice has always stopped me. But this year, with the reduction in Antarctic sea ice in the Weddell Sea, we were able to get incredibly far south below Snow Hill, and the reason we wanted to go down there was the opportunity to perhaps see emperor penguins. And seeing an emperor penguin on the Antarctic Peninsula is... Pretty much the, the equivalent of finding rocking horse poo. It's very, very rare. So we were very fortunate. We had multiple emperor penguin encounters while in the Weddell Sea. Some really amazing photographs resulted because also the conditions were so good. It was soft overcast light. We had beautiful soft snow coming down from the sky. And it was just magical. We photographed in the Weddell Sea very, very extensively. I was able to launch zodiacs for emperor penguins and adelis on icebergs. We were able to cruise around giant tabular icebergs. We really maximised our time, I felt, on this expedition. The time in the Weddell Sea was a bonus. Of course, that was not scheduled, but the weather conditions allowed it, our timing allowed it, and because this was a dedicated charter, I was able to make the decision to go down into the Weddell Sea and explore that region of Antarctica, which is an area not that often visited. Certainly not early in the season like this was, November, December, Typically, most expeditions that are planned to go into the Weddell Sea would go down there in January, February, because of the the, the the fact that there is less sea ice at that time of the year. But it's not ideal. You know, less sea ice means brighter skies, usually blue sky days, very difficult photographically. And I've been down there in February, and it wasn't great. But this time of the year, to be down there in the Weddell Sea, under such beautiful soft light with emperor penguins and Adelie penguins on icebergs it's just the stuff that photographic dreams are made of it really really was i have already been asked when i will be returning to the antarctic peninsula and guiding another expedition like this i don't know at this point as yet the ship i was using this year the polar pioneer which is my favorite ship down in antarctica is actually not returning to antarctica next year 2024 so it certainly won't be next year i will look into future years Uh, I'm still also looking at possible South Georgia expeditions as well. But uh, at the moment, South Georgia is closed to all landings as a result of the avian flu pandemic. So there's little point in scheduling a trip there right at the moment. That's just off the cards for the time being. So as I said, I will have a full write-up and a trip report with photographs from this really unique and special Antarctic expedition in the next couple of days. My aim is to try and get that out before the New Year's. So that means tomorrow (laughs) or the following day before midnight. But that's my plan. At the conclusion of this expedition, I actually took five days in Easter Island. Now, I had originally planned to go to Easter Island with my friend Martin way back. I think it was in 2009 or 2010. I don't recall. But at the time, I had some work commitments. I couldn't get there. I couldn't join Martin. But I have been wanting to go back there ever since. And I had the time at the end of this Antarctic expedition. So I decided to take a scouting trip to Easter Island. One, it's a place I'd always wanted to visit. Two, I wanted to look into what was the potential for running a future workshop there. I had never seen anybody advertise a workshop to Easter Island for the Maui statues. And I was very keen to see what it was like. It did, it did, what's the word for it? It, I wouldn't say it exceeded my expectations because I'm not going to be running a future workshop there. Let's get that out of the way, I think, straight away. And I'll come to the reason for that in, in a minute. But certainly the statues themselves are extremely beautiful, incredibly old, incredibly unique in the landscape. The, however, the photographic opportunities I felt were difficult. And there are a number of reasons for that. The first one is that the statues are very heavily protected. So that means that you really cannot get very close to them at all. Most of them, in, certainly in the protected sites, you can only get within about 20 meters of which makes uh, photography with wide-angle lenses quite difficult. Then, of course, there is the fact that you are now required in Easter Island to have a local guide to visit the more historic sites. Now, there's no problem with hiring a local guide, of course, but it means that you might not be there alone. There may be other people with their local guide there, and that makes it also difficult photographically as well. And then if you are going to any of the sites, that do not require a local guide, and there are some, there's quite a few of them on the island that have statues, then you are generally dealing with quite a lot of tourism throughout the day. And certainly at sunset in the more famous locations, there are a lot of tourists, particularly down by the water, because it's warm, it's Polynesia, it's hot, it's 26 degrees most days, certainly the time of year I was there, quite humid as well. I did enjoy the experience of seeing the statues very much. I don't believe I made anything more than a snapshot of them, though. I did give it my best shot given the conditions, the light, uh, which actually let's come to the light. The light was quite difficult. Most of the time it was very, very harsh and extremely bright, and that's typical of locations that are close to the equator in my experience. There isn't much that can be done about that. You just need to sort of reserve your photography for the beginning and the end of the day, really, when the light is softer. The only issue with that, of course, is that it doesn't last very long. Maybe you get five minutes of really great light in the morning, and again, about the same as sunset. So I made a few images. They're okay. I may or may not share them at some point on my blog. To be honest with you, most of the images that I made that I like, I actually did on my iPhone, way, I was doing silhouettes down on the beach of the statues, I felt that was sort of the most evocative way to, to photograph them. But as I said, they are very, very interesting. I did enjoy the scouting trip to Easter Island very much. It's a very safe place, I found, a very easy place to get around. The food was very good, a lot of seafood on offer, many restaurants to choose from. Nothing ultra high-end, but certainly very, very good quality, I felt. And I did enjoy it. It was a bit of R&R for me after Antarctica. But as I said, I won't be running a future workshop to Easter Island at this point in time. I just feel the opportunities to really make art there out of the statues are quite limited and that you are dealing with too many other issues there, such as needing a local guide, the short window for good light during the day, but more importantly, perhaps the difficulty in getting close to the statues themselves. And I understand the need for that. I understand the need to protect them. You know, if they weren't protected like this, certainly I think there'd be people crawling all over them, doing selfies with them and and posting them to Instagram. So I'm glad that these statues are being protected and looked after. I think that's important. There is one location on the island where you can actually get quite close to the statues, and that is at the quarry, where the stone was actually carved out of the mountain to make these statues. And that is a very, very interesting place. And of all the locations we visited during my time in Easter Island, I I felt that was actually the most interesting, certainly photographically and also from historical perspective, because there are numerous statues laying around that have been finished, some in unfinished state, some half carved out of the mountain still. And that was quite interesting to see the process of how these statues were carved out of solid rock by human hands. Quite amazing, really. So that's it on Easter Island. The I guess the frustrating thing about Easter Island for me was in order to get there, you it's part of Easter Island's governed by Chile, so you need to fly from Santiago. And that means that I was effectively halfway back to Australia when I was on Easter Island. But because there is no return flight from Easter Island to to Australia directly, I then needed to fly all the way back to Santiago, a flight time of about five hours before catching my flight of 14 hours back to Australia. So it was a long haul back to Australia. Hence, I've got quite a bit of jet lag. And that's also just a result of the time difference between Santiago, Easter Island and Australia as well. Plus the fact that I've been in Antarctica for two weeks, as well. And that was a very, very heavy schedule for me up very, very early, often late to bed as well. But as I said, not complaining, incredible trips, both of them. I think the other thing I want to do at this point is just sort of wrap up the podcast for the year. I had a little bit of a look at the statistics, which is always interesting. And I actually did a lot better than I thought with the number of episodes, I averaged 2.08 episodes every two weeks. So that's actually, as I said, better than I thought. The podcast was downloaded across a total of 67 countries over the year, with the USA topping the charts. That's not too surprising for the most downloads. I did look at the number of downloads, but I cannot recall off the top of my head. It was in the 30,000 or something like that. The most downloaded episode was The Ethical Use of Drones in Wildlife Photography, which I'll actually link to in the show notes as well, which I thought was quite interesting that that was the most downloaded. I published that back on the 11th of July earlier this year. Now, of course, I'm going to endeavor to improve on these statistics in 2024. I'd like to do more podcasts. I'd like to do more content. I've got some great ideas for content. I've also had some ideas that have been sent in to me for content as well. Thank you if you're one of those people who have sent me some ideas. I greatly appreciate it. It's always nice to get ideas on on podcasts. Usually, I've got quite a long list, and usually it's time constraints more than anything else that prevent me from getting to something. But I will endeavor to get through that list next year. Last couple of things to touch on, I guess they're just news items, and I'll tag them on the back of this podcast this time. The first of which is the January issue of UK's EOS Canon magazine has been published this is the first time I've been featured in this magazine. I actually have the cover shot as well. This is a magazine that is obviously specific to Canon cameras, but it's nice to have my image included on the cover and also a very large feature on my pull of photography as well. And likewise, there was another extended feature on my photography also in the latest issue of Food and Travel magazine, and I'll link to this in the show notes as well. Magazines are still something I love to do. I don't do a lot of them, but getting the cover, as I think I've talked about in other podcasts, is is real it's a real treat and it's a real thrill and it's a real honor and i think getting the cover particularly for uk's eos magazine is a big honor for me that's that's pretty huge they tell me this is the first time that they have featured something non-technical on the cover so it's actually one of my images of a wild wolf from finland so i'm thrilled to see that image on on the cover of the latest edition So I think that's about it. I need to start packing for Mongolia. It's going to be here in just a few days. It's going to be interesting. It was 26 degrees in Santiago and Easter Island. Of course, I'm heading into minus 20 degrees in the steppe region of Mongolia in winter for the palace cat. And of course, I'm very, very much looking forward to that. I don't think I'll do a dedicated podcast on what I'm going to take with me. It's pretty standard fare for me. I'm going to take my 600mm f4. I'll take the 100 to 500 for shorter shorter shooting with the 2R3's couple of spare batteries and that's pretty much it. I'll throw a wide angle in the bag. Other than that it's pretty easy packing for me. No dry bags required. Just cold the usual cold weather clothing which is a pretty much the normal for me anyway. So Uh, after Mongolia, I'll be coming back to Australia where I'll have a week uh, to prepare before I head to Canada for my snowy owl trip. And then from there, I'll be heading direct to Europe for my Iceland Arctic fox trip and spending a little bit of time in Europe, uh, specifically in Sweden. So looking forward to that as well. I can't believe, to be honest, it's the end of 2023. I just don't know where this year has gone. It seems to have evaporated. I haven't had the chance to sit down and do, or look into rather, how many flights I did for the year. I do want to do that. It's always interesting for me personally to see how many times I got on and off a plane, how many flights I did over the course of the year. So I'll look at that, I'll look at how many countries I went to, and I will try and put all of that into a retrospective podcast for 2023, hopefully early in the new year when I get back to Australia from Mongolia. But I think that's it for now. We'll wrap it up there. I am... It's a beautiful day here in Melbourne, but I want to get outside and get a little bit of sunshine because that's the best cure for jet lag in my experience. So take the opportunity now while it's warm. It's probably mid-20s here. And again, that's very, very nice compared to where I'm going in Mongolia with minus 20. So that's it for today. I'm Josh. It has been the 29th of December, 2023, podcast number 86. Look forward to seeing you out in the field. Take care. Bye-bye.